And I just want to say, welcome to the club of people who organize their businesses around the joy of the work rather than necessarily the outcome. I, I'm thinking now of a conversation I had a few months ago with one of my dearest friends and mentors, uh, Parker Palmer. And we were talking about his new book, On the Brink of Everything. And in that conversation, we started batting around this, this phenomena that people are so driven by purpose. They're driven by this seeking of purpose that they conflate it with a kind of outcome-produced thing. And I think back to that, well, you know, what is the outcome of this company that you want, that you started? And he and I joked and we said that the really interesting organizing question, similar to, you know, what kind of company are you building? Is this the kind of company you want to work for? The, the organizing question was, have I been kind have I lived a life where I don't feel like I'm a frog in the pot being boiled? Have I been able to create time and space for the people that I love? Those feel really, really powerful and liberating. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. I had a client come to me recently with one of those scenarios that I think so many entrepreneurs dream about. I am meeting with company X in an hour, he said, and they want to buy us at this price, a price I can't even believe is on the table. But there is more, as he continued, speaking so fast that there was barely any air between his words. And company Y is now coming in with an even higher price. And on top of that, I have these two term sheets from big name VCs that expire next Monday. I could feel the energy, the excitement even the shock in his voice. Here he was after many years of working so hard, of coming to the brink of company death so many times, of scrapping and pulling money from anywhere he could to just keep things going. And now he was presented with multiple unbelievable opportunities. I could feel my energy building to match his, and I could feel the confusion mixed in with his excitement. Just trying to figure out what I should do, he said. And perhaps I could hear the unspoken question as well. What is the right thing to do? I was listening to a podcast recently with famed investor Howard Marks, where he said, can't tell the quality of a decision based on the outcome. The point he was making here is that good decisions can still go bad. And bad decisions, well, they can go well. And ultimately, the outcome could be and likely is completely out of your control. But what is not out of your control, what is always in your control, it's how you ultimately make a decision. And how do you make a good decision? How do you know you made a quality decision? Okay, take a breath, I suggested to him. Slow down. Imagine yourself a year from now looking back on this decision. Ignore the outcome, but look at how you make it. How would you decide in a way that you look back on with pride? How would you make this decision in a way that feels true and right to you? And what would you take into consideration? What would be the things that really matter to you that would lead to making a good decision? I could feel the pace of his breath slow down. I don't care about the money, he said. I just want a chance to build on my vision. So the first thing I need to know 
does the partner share a long-term view that I have? And are they willing to back me and support me as I execute on it? And there it began. A core value that he holds deeply that must be factored in this decision. He continued on going deeper and deeper towards what was most important to him. We won't know if the decision he makes is the right one. But what we do know with certainty is that no one can make this decision for him. We know that doing something that doesn't align with his vision, his values, what's most important to him will lead to regret, regardless of the outcome. There is no right way. There is no right decision. There is merely what is right for you in your situation. Slow down. Stand still. Connect with what matters to you. If you follow your instincts and you are wrong, then you'll be okay. But if you don't follow your instincts and you are wrong, it is brutal. That's the stuff that keeps you up at night. Wise words from one of our guests today. Chris Savage, who along with Brendan Schwartz, co-founded the video platform Wistia back in 2006. Brendan and Chris took the traditional tech startup path, raised money and pushed for growth. But as the company grew, they found themselves pulled more and more towards what they felt like they were supposed to do and further away from what they really wanted to do until one day they woke up and realized they didn't want to be part of the company's future, or at least not the future it was headed towards. So they made a courageous decision, reconnected to what mattered most to them, and bought out their investors so they could ensure the road ahead was one they truly wanted to be a part of. In this conversation with Jerry, they discuss all that went into this big decision, how they reconnected to their core shared definition of success, and how they've come to love the company once again by following their path and seeing there is no right way. Enjoy. Are you looking to stay up to date on all things Reboot? Join our mailing list to receive updates on the podcast, including our most recent episodes, corresponding blog posts, and updates on exclusive Reboot services and events. Head to reboot.io slash sign up. Hey, Chris and Brendan, it's great to see you and thank you for coming on the show. Before we get started, can you just take a moment and introduce yourselves? Chris, why don't you go first and then Brendan? Sure. Um, so I'm the co-founder and CEO of Wistia. Started Wistia 12 years ago with Brendan in a uh, 10-person house about a mile from here in Cambridge. Mm. And Brendan? Uh, and I'm Brendan. I am the co-founder and CTO here. Chris and I so, met in college. Uh, we're in the same freshman year home. So we've known each other for a long time. Uh, we were best friends when we started this business and we are still best friends. Which is a remarkable feat unto itself. We haven't, <laughs> you know, we, were, we were joking before we officially started recording and I said, you know, I'm probably not going to get you guys to cry, but maybe if I get you talking about the deep friendship, I'll, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, what college was that? Uh, Brown in Providence. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's, let's dive in. You know, um, when I first heard the Wistia story, I was really fascinated by it. And, and of course, we've got a number of different folks who sort of pointed us to each other. And as we were noting before, um, Chris, you, you are friends, or I guess you both are friends with Duncan Morris, who's been on the show. And so there's like, it's this very, very small little world. But 
enough about my take. Can, can one of you tell us a story about where you are right now and the decision that you made, I guess, a couple of months ago um, with regard to your investors? Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So, so we have a little bit of a different story. Um, and I will say, as we go into this, like we didn't really, we didn't know what we were doing when we started, which is. No. Nope. Okay. Here's the thing. Here's yeah. the secret. No one knows what they're doing when they yes, get started. Yes, I right. agree. So go ahead. Now that's clear. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't clear back then. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we started in, we started the company in 2006 and it took us a couple of years to find traction and figure out what angel investing was. And we wanted to, um, we knew that we needed to do some hiring. And so we raised a little bit of angel money in, in 2008. Um, all individuals. Right. So, so friends, family. Friends and families were like 25% of it. And uh-huh. everything else was like professional angels. You gotcha. Know, there's um, people who that's just what they do. And then we went another couple of years and kind of um, found traction, figured out uh, what our product should be, how we should price it, um, how we thought we should market it. And we needed more money because we were running out of money. Hmm. And so as that happens... Mm-hmm. Um, and we raised another 800,000 800, then. So we raised a total of 1.4 million, never raised any more investment. And then, um, you know, you grow and, 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 it, and we also weren't really, for a long time, I don't think Wistia looked like a success to our investors. For us, it was. It was incredibly fulfilling. It was really fun. We were learning a lot, but we were still like small. And then at some point, probably when we hit about 10 million in revenue, they started saying, what's going to happen? What's going to happen now? What's going to happen? Like, I guess all the business, what's, where is this going? And um, once those questions started, they continued. And uh, it basically created a pressure on us. It was a different pressure than we had been used to of like, we need to run this company so that it could be sold someday. It's right. kind of so, like so one of the options. Right. So so let's give give some context to that. Um let me reflect back. So, so the investors, the or the angel investors, were saying to, they, like they they were they were comfortable, and then there was this point where it felt like, hey, there might actually be a return on investment here. Yes, and and I wanted to introduce that term because I think that that's one of the key issues, right? Yes. I'm going to give you a dollar, and my expectation is I'm going to get a dollar fifty to two dollars, maybe even more back. Yeah, and um, that's my profit. And, and so they started to sit up and take notice when you hit about 10 million in revenue and they said, in effect, what's going to happen, but also, Hey, is there, am I going to get, make some money on this investment? So that was the pressure. Exactly. And it's interesting because it went from very little pressure of just kind of like kiss the money goodbye to pressure. Like, are they going to be able to run this company? Like, is it going to, how fast is it going to grow? Are you going to take advantage of the thing you found? Like, all these questions, they're like, where are the season managers? Or like all that kind of stuff. And um, we were able to like manage that pressure and manage that um, through like communicating well with them and the company continued to grow pretty strongly. Um, and then actually in 2000, in 2017, we actually finally had the moment where um, we had three different acquirers who were interested in, in buying the business at the same time. And we were not very happy Mm. at work. Um, Neither of us were. 
that we didn't know that really. We didn't really say that, but it was looking back, it's clear that that was the case. So, the, so, that, like, so, so that somewhat mythical story of the frog being boiled in water. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Brendan just popped in. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden you wake up one day and you say, man, this water is hot. Yeah, I would say so. And, and I think it was also not wanting, either not recognizing it at first and also not maybe admitting to each other that yeah. also, right? Because, you know, we, yeah. we're supporting each other in that. So if one person's like, I'm having it. How did the not being... I mean, we will talk about that, but yeah. Um, yeah. How did it yeah. manifest itself? Yeah, how did it manifest itself? I think that a lot of the things that over the years we were really proud um, of things we were able to do with the company, which mostly revolved around really creative things that we had built or launched or decisions we were able to make that were different than the way other companies had operated. We kind of started seeing ourselves doing the same thing as other people and being more short-term focused Mm. um, and having where the two of us are having to like argue against a lot of people here for things that we wanted, which you were like, what? This is like the backwards of the way this company was supposed to work. Like Mm. it seems like these, we should be building something that where those things flow very effortlessly. And, and there was a time a long time where that had happened and then that was kind of the frog being boiled where it kind of felt like it slowly way to point where you feel like you're the only one arguing for something that used to be the defining feature of the company. I, I want to hang out in this moment just for, for a second because I think this is a really important moment. And, and many people will write in around the podcast and they'll write in and they'll talk about like the topics that we talk about that often don't get talked about. And... And we're, we're in that area, which is, and, and I know you guys have written really eloquently about the decisions that you made. And one of those is, was this notion that, that um, you wanted to get back to the company that you, had u- that you had used to be. But I'm really emotionally relating to this moment um, in the sense that, these are my words, it's as if... I'm imagining you came in one day and discovered that the company was no longer the company that you had built, that something else had sort of taken over. And, and Chris, I see you nodding as, as you say that, does that resonate with you guys? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's as simple as we kind of, we thought that there was like normal things to do to grow a company and there's a lot of advice, a lot of quote normal advice. That's like, this is how you scale your team. This is what your LTV to CAC ratio should be. This is how this like all these like metrics and numbers and stuff. And um, one of them was like, if you're in growth mode, you can't be profitable. Right, right. So, so there's 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 even a meme right now. It's a really good book, but the high growth handbook. There's this yeah. meme. There's this notion that there's a playbook. Yes. And I've used, I've seen these terms out there the handbook, the playbook, the way yeah. to do it. Here's the way to do it. Yeah. And I have no problem with that, except with one piece of it, the article used in that phrase, the playbook, yeah. the handbook. When yeah. the truth is, it's a handbook or an yeah. handbook, a handbook yes. and a playbook, yeah. it's a way to do it. Um, and, and, and this is really relevant. Yesterday, I was talking to a client and uh, 
the company has grown really dramatically. And, you know, he, he got on the phone and he said, you know, I just want to kill my whole executive team. I won't name names. But it was a really, you're both laughing because, because, because there was this powerful moment when is, there was a realization in effect, and again, that the company that had gotten built was not the company that had produced the joy. And I yeah. don't mean the happiness. I mean the joy, the joy of creativity, the joy of coming to work every day and just loving what you do. And I related to it, uh, I, was, I told a quick story about when I was in my early 30s and Fred Wilson and I had built Flatiron Partners. And I remember walking into the office one day and we had something like 25 employees, some of whom I didn't really spend any time with, which was so antithetical to the way I am as a leader, right? And I was uh, reviewing an email in which we were uh, reviewing the language of our new dress code. And I'm just going to let that land. I was in my 30s and I was the managing partner of a company that had a fucking dress code. Right? And Brendan, you're laughing. Right? You know what I'm talking about. It's like, yeah. what? when did this happen? Does this, am, am I ca- catching the feeling here? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it happens to a lot of good companies. It's I almost feel like it's like we Brendan and I talk about it in the early days. We had nothing but time, mm. right? No one's paying attention to us, so we're just trying to do things that are and genuinely useful, actually stand out. Are re- and for us, we end up finding creative solutions to like every problem, and then we start to grow and hire. And at first, it was totally fine, but at some point, we got big enough that people were like, "No, there's a way to do." There's a way to test pricing. There's a way to do this thing and that thing. And you start thinking, uh, there probably should be because I don't have the time to do this creatively. No one really does. And you start guessing these things. And, and um, at least in our case, some of those things were totally like the way that we like to work and on brand and felt right. And some of those things were not, but we still went with them anyway because they were like, quote, best practices. Mm. And uh, it's, I think we learned that lesson that um, if you follow your instincts and you're wrong, then it's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you don't follow your instincts and you follow and, and it's wrong, then it's brutal. Mm-hmm. That's that's the stuff that keeps you up at night. Mm-hmm. And uh, we try to resolve to hey, the way we want to run this company is where we are following our instincts, and it's okay. Like it's okay if it doesn't work because at least like the way that we went about it um, is the way we feel good when we're working. Yeah. It's, it's funny too, because you mentioned this joy. Um, and I feel like we were fortunate early on when we were building the company to recognize that that was a really motivating force for both of us. And that, that was actually what enabled the work to be so good. And, you know, saying that out loud and talking about that with the company, which made it like extra (laughs) embarrassing when we were the frogs being boiled, even though we had said that out loud and made that part of our value only to like wake up one day and kind of have that not be true. Right. Like it, it seems like it wouldn't be so bad if you didn't ever realize, you know, you had some realization, uh, you know, later in life that like, Oh, that was the thing that's, you know, supposed to be important. And it felt like we found that early and that was really nice, but mm. away it went. <laughs> I, I, I like how we're framing this discussion because Oftentimes, 
when people, you know, there, there, there's a there's a there's a profound intellectual question that we're actually implicitly working with right here, which is should one raise outside capital? Right. And mm-hmm. and to be clear, your decision was to raise debt to pay back those investors to in effect buy them out mm-hmm. and create a mechanism for return on investment for them. Mm-hmm. So and, and we'll talk a little bit about the, the, the details with regard to that. But implicit in this whole discussion is so here you have a successful company and successful by a particular set of metrics. And, 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 and one of the implicit questions is, is should I even bother raising capital if I can do it in a, if I, if I could build a company without that? And I think that one of the unintended consequences of taking people's money, taking investors' money, is this sort of uh, question that arises, what's going to happen now, right? Meaning the growth question. Mm-hmm meaning the exit question because that's really what that is right it's the it's like how how is my dollar going to become two yeah it's a different set of expectations that you're you kind of signing up for and I, I think people and we definitely were in this camp people don't understand that there's like a middle quote middle zone that your company can end up in mm. like we thought it was going to be like, like when we raised that money there was definitely I'm, I'm not the, the B word, the billion word may have been said at some mm-hmm. point, you know, like, mm-hmm. and so it's like, you say the B word and everyone's like, Oh, you're saying the B word. And it's easy to invest in this. If it doesn't work, it's fine. If it works, it's a billion dollar thing. What if it's actually like a $50 million thing or a hundred million dollar thing? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that produces be, joy. That produces joy for everyone. It touches it produces forever joy for, <laughs> for the customers, right. Right, for the community. Right. And it, it's and it, a joy machine. Um, what about, what about that? And you look at it, most companies will probably end up in the middle. Um, but they're structured in a way where they need to be the billion. And I think that is like, we didn't even go that far down this path. Like we only raised 1.4 million. That's like nothing in today's dollars, right? Like when people raise capital today, that's like half a, half a pre super pre seed or whatever the hell they call it. It's like 1.4 million. Um, so we were able to actually get off that train, but the I, I think that people don't understand what they're signing. They're just so excited to get money that they take it, and then later they're like, "Wait, I actually like being an entrepreneur." I was like, "Well, you can't be an entrepreneur anymore. You need to sell your company because we need a return, and it's not a great one, but we need it because we got to close our fund." And people don't understand how it works, um, and it's also we're not saying it's not for everyone. I mean, there's tons of people who absolutely should raise money. We have friends for companies that are starting. It's like probably should raise money with that thing. Like I agree, it's just different. It's just I don't think people ask themselves those questions. Yeah, I think I think you're 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 right. There's there's there in addition to the sort of implicit conventional wisdom that there is a there is the way to build a company, that there is the way to build a high growth company. There's an implicit conventional wisdom which says to be an entrepreneur means to raise money. Yeah. And, uh, and that's a dangerous uh, implied wisdom because it actually disconnects one of the most important uh, principles, I think, of most successful entrepreneurs, which is to be focused on profits. Yeah. 
uh, you, you just smiled, Chris, because like, you know, I often tell the story of my grandfather, Dominic Guido, who was an ice man in Brooklyn. And one of the lessons he always taught me was that being an entrepreneur, he never used that word. He always used the word businessman. Being a businessman meant that you had more money at the end of the day than you had at the beginning of the day. Right? Simple concept. Yeah. Simple concept. <laughs> That's crazy. Right? Crazy. Yeah. Right? And, and, and yet there's a liberation. There's a freedom and flexibility. There's certainly less growth. But to use the term that we were using around before, uh, there's a joy that if you get that machine working right, and all of a sudden, 30, 40 people are doing great work, getting well compensated, coming to work and enjoying their lives, and not feeling like frogs being boiled to death. But going home, we, we talked about our mutual friend Duncan, and going home and being able to coach their son's sports team and still be an entrepreneur. What? <laughs> That's crazy. All because you sort of gave up the notion of the B word, right? The Like, I'm going to go for it. The, there's a great um, anti-notion floating around right now that the guys at Basecamp are talking about, which is, you know, fighting against, and, and, and what's the name? Alexis Ohanian, fighting against this notion of hustle porn fighting against this notion that we're all supposed to kill ourselves to get to the, to this finish line, you know, and, and poor Brendan, you're nodding away. You're, you're, <laughs> you're like, am, am I speaking your language here? Well, I think it was a funny thing because like Chris mentioned, when we started to have that pressure and throughout the business, we also never knew what we wanted in the end. So people would say, oh, what are you going to do? You know, well, I don't know. Maybe we'll sell it one day. Maybe we'll go public. Maybe we'll just keep doing this forever. Um, and we had, we had interest in acquisition and in being bought along the way from other places. We never really seriously considered it. Um, and it kind of wasn't until when Chris mentioned that we had three offers come in at the same time and we were really not enjoying what we were doing that we started to take it seriously. And that was a weird moment because it was what we had thought of as a, you know, a, a normal like entrepreneurial finish line. Mm -hmm. So we went through all these exercises of, well, what would we do? You know, like mm -hmm. we were at the finish line and you could have like a pile of money. Mm -hmm. uh, but that isn't, I mean, that's great, you know, to have that financial freedom, but it, what that it's like a weird to end up at the finish line and be like, I don't want to be here. This is not where, um, we want to be. So I just, just the nodding was around this, like that, like this, uh, you know, it's about getting to the end. I mean, it's like the most cliched thing, thing to say, but right. People say like, it's about the journey, not the destination. I think that was, is very true for us. And the thing that we enjoy doing is running and operating this business. Yeah. You know, look, I, I think one of the reasons why cliches like that last is because they contain truth. And, you know, what makes them, quote, cliche is the, the need to constantly re reinforce that truth. And what I'm experiencing, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of 
take the posture of, of being the elder here in this conversation, what I'm experiencing is young men who have become older during this 12 years in which you've launched, launched and run this business and become more of yourselves and realizing the visceral nature of the truth of that statement. And, you know, I made a note when you were talking, Brendan, because we never knew where we wanted to end up in the end. We never knew where we wanted to go. And I realized that one of the organizing questions I often will ask when starting work with a, with a new client is, well, what do you want to have happen with this business? And oftentimes we launch our businesses unaware of where we want to end up. And the result is we end up in that joyless place with dress codes and vacation <laughs> policies, right? And not running the company that we wanted to work at, right? Another question I often will ask is, what kind of company do you want to work for? Because you're building that every single day. And I'm going to insert, based on all the things I've seen you write and speak about, I think you realized that you had built a company that you didn't want to work for. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think the, the other piece of that, that first question that you asked, I think is the question that, you know, if you start a business, you get from even before you start, if you say that you're thinking about it, where do you want to end up? Um, and I think, honestly, we would always feel a little bit funny because we didn't really have an answer. And you always assume that these other big successes or other businesses that are really good, they ha always have an answer, right? You know, mm -hmm. to colonize Mars or to, do, you know, <laughs> cure cancer, to do something like that. To colonize Mars by curing cancer. <laughs> <laughs> that, that could be as well. But um, I, I think this, the sec for, at least for us, the second question um, was the one we should have always been asking. Um, and, I, and I feel like you said, like, that's uh, not like shame is probably not the right word for it. But like when we didn't have an answer for that first one, I feel like now we do have an answer for that. Or we, we have, like through going through that whole kind of trial, feel much more comfortable saying, no, it's, it's the thing, it's the running of this business. It's how it, how it operates. That is the thing that we really want to be focused on and keep doing that at bigger and bigger scale. Not that there is some, you know, destination in sight that we're all working towards. I think there's a, just to add on to what Brennan just said, I think the other piece of it is this realization that um, if you can stay focused on, something you enjoy, but it's a hard problem and a big opportunity for a long time, you actually can build something significant because none of this is about us not wanting to grow the business. Like we're working very hard to grow the business. We have just figured out that for us, if we're profitable, then it actually helps us prioritize and run the business better and, and be more creative. Mm -hmm. um, and if we give ourselves time, like if we, if we don't think really, it basically lets us be much more long-term focused. Mm -hmm. And um, when you're long-term focused, you don't sacrifice on hires. You don't sacrifice, you don't do the quick things. Like there's always quick things you could do to increase revenue. Like we have a subscription business. We could raise prices or do something. We could change something and definitely make our, our revenue go higher. But that's mm -hmm. not, that would come at a very long-term cost. And we weigh those long-term costs because we don't want to be at the company in three years 
having paying for a, a, a stupid mistake we made to try to, to juice revenue now. Um, Cause that's just not, we actually believe that we'll build something very significant. It's just, we're willing to have a much longer time horizon. And I, I think that that's one of the things that is now we're free, of, right? Like we're free of this exit date. And so we can have the very, very long-term horizon. Um, and it just lets us do different things. It lets us, even with our products, try to win on different, in different ways because we aren't just like searching out for the next feature that we think is like the feature that's going to change everything. It's like, you can, it's, it's, it's you need to have systems and people and structure and plan that allows us that in five years, I think we'll be doing really amazing and probably a lot bigger than we are now, but I don't know how big and it doesn't really matter. Like, but it, it, I think by giving ourselves that time, it lets us, lets us build something significant. So I, I'm, let me reflect back some of the wisdom I'm hearing. One is that um, focusing on profitability creates optionality and freedom. Yes. Focusing on profitability creates a kind of structural discipline yeah. that allows you to then build the company that you'd like to work for. Yeah. Um, letting go of the need for um, demonstrable return on investment on the part of investors um, and staying focused on the long term is enabling you to create more creative and more joyful work experiences. And I would even argue product and services. Yes. Does this, am, am I, right. yeah, you're right on the, you're right on the money. I mean, we, for example, we made a, an original series this year. That's a four part docu series. It's 142 minutes. It's an hour and 42 minutes long. Mm-hmm. It's on Amazon Prime. It's called 110100. And um, we we paid this really talented production company to make three ads for us at different budgets and then mm-hmm. documented their production process and the creative process and this whole thing. So we give them 111000 One ad was $1,000. One ad was $10,000. One ad was 100000 When we were doing this, we decided to do this last year. And we were just getting profitable again, and it's terrifying to do. And then throughout this whole year, you know, it's like, oh, we thought this was going to be two blog posts. It's like, no, it's a way bigger thing. Mm-hmm. It's like turned into effectively a movie that we premiered mm-hmm. to the theater, and it's now on Amazon Prime. Um, what is the return of this? What is the return of that time? What is the return of the 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 the, the ads? <laughs> I don't know. I, I I can't tell you. Like, there's there's a lot of views. It's a but it's like a brand thing that we believe in and we're excited about. We think it's really creative and really different and really um, we're just really proud of it. And I think that I actually think it's been fantastic for us, but in a a million ways we can't measure super well. Mm -hmm. And are we going to keep doing more stuff like this? Yes. Is it going to be bigger and different? Yes. Mm -hmm. But like when we were short-term focused, we never could have done this. Like it was just not on the table as an option. Mm -hmm. Um, And now it's, it's freed us up to have like five different ways that this project could be successful. And the, it was like successful day one. And they went, well, what if the other four work? It's like mm-hmm. the second one worked, the third one worked like, this is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we probably got lucky too in the, in this project, but um, it's just, I think an example of something that's like very creative, very different, very long-term. We believe in it. It's inspiring to us. Um, and I don't think we could do it if we said, you launch this and like show me the results in Q3. Like, mm. 
I, I don't yeah. know how you'll do it. Brendan, you were going to say I think something? that's, we've had success like that before in that, um, you know, when we, when we were profitable after we had raised that second round of angel money, we worked really hard to get profitable. And then once that happened, there was, you know, the, the time clock of, you know, we need to raise another round or anything that was all off. And it felt like we had a lot more freedom in what we could do. And we started to think longer term. And I remember then we started making, uh, investing in video content marketing and doing things like, um, we made a lot of DIY video content. Hey, here's the best, uh, here's a hundred dollar lighting setup that you could build. Here's and teaching companies how to do this. Mm. There wasn't, I remember at that time too, we also got, you know, from other people some, you know, how will you make money doing this? You know, you're giving it away for free. This doesn't directly connect to your product. You are teaching some things that you, you as a business are really good at and are a differentiator in your own, you know, marketing. Cause we were good at making videos and now we're giving that away for free. Um, we knew it was valuable. We knew it was helpful. Um, and we thought over the long term, this is something that, you know, people will get to know Wistia for and they will, you know, if they trust us, they, they may buy from us or tell other people about it. And that's a pretty, con you know, that's content marketing, right? It's a very normal strategy, but it's really hard to measure the direct. Well, it's easy to measure the direct effect of it and it doesn't usually work in the short term. And when we launch some of those videos, there's like, you know, a hundred views on something like that. Um, and now, uh, it's really cool to see some of those ones that we made seven years ago, you know, are still huge drivers of, of growth for us today in that a lot of people still watch them. And it's like this funny thing of building this way is that it's this compounding effect. And uh, we still, again, back to the cliches and things that you have to constantly remind yourself of. I feel like we're, one thing we're constantly saying even today is, you know, the growth that we'll get this year is the product of the hard work work that we've done last five years, not what we're going to do, you know, this year to, to get that lift. Like it, it's something that takes a really long time to do. And I think requires managing the business in a different way. And that's why the profitability stuff has been so key. Like you were saying in that it gives us that freedom and we can focus on the longer term without needing an immediate, uh, return on investment. You know, um, uh, I'm, I'm sitting here and again, I'm, I, I, for whatever reason, maybe it's because my birthday is coming up. I'm feeling my elderhood, right? And so I'm as as, <laughs> as my birthday is coming up in a few weeks. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Thank Happy you. birthday! Thank yeah. you! Thank you! Um, but as I as I hear you speaking, what I'm relating to is actually even some of the decisions that we've gone through with reboot. When we decided to start a podcast four years ago. Um, it was really prompted in large part by my co-founder and partner, Dan, who was a big podcast fan and, and just said, oh, you know, there's, there, there's something in there. And, and initially we thought of it as, well, maybe we should sell advertising. Maybe we should have a partnership there. And, but what evolved over time was that there was a joy in creating a platform for conversations that were slightly different. And one of the things that's happened is even if we can't provide services and support to someone because they can't afford a coach or they can't even afford to be in a peer support group that we have, we are now convinced because we get letters, notes, emails at least once a week from someone who says, I'm alone. I'm sitting here by myself. I've been listening to your podcast and it's helped me. 
And there is zero, quote unquote, financial return on investment. But there's an incredible joy return on investment in all of the efforts that we're making here. And one of the most profound uh, returns on investment that come to me from the podcast is it gives me the capacity to wake up every day and to say, I was kind. I made a difference in somebody's life. I am the luckiest human alive because I have a company that allows me to be kind and make a difference in people's lives every day. And for me, that purpose is a hell of a lot better than the B billion word. (laughs) So forgive me for being the old man looking back, but, but I see from the smiles on your faces that there feels to be a connection with what I just said. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. I have to remind people that nobody's watching your video. So if you're not. (laughs) (laughs) We're nodding vigorously. (laughs) You know, and I just want to say, welcome to the club of people who organize their businesses around the joy of the work rather than necessarily the outcome. You know, I'm thinking now of a conversation I had a few months ago with one of my dearest friends and mentors, uh, Parker Palmer. And we were talking about his new book on the brink of everything, which is about aging. And it's a, it, it's really a, it, it's really a beautiful book about life itself. And in that conversation, we started batting around this, this phenomena that people are so driven by purpose. They're driven by this seeking of purpose that they, 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 they conflate it with a kind of outcome-produced thing. And I think back to that, well, you know, what is the outcome of this company that you, want, that you started? And he and I joked and we said that the really interesting organizing question, similar to, you know, what kind of company are you building? Is this the kind of company you want to work for? The, the organizing question was, have I been kind? Have I lived a life where I don't feel like I'm a frog in the pot being boiled? Have I been able to create time and space for the people that I love? Have I been able to pay the bills and take care of the people that took care of me when I was a boy, when I was a girl, when I was a child? Those feel really, really powerful and liberating. I don't know. I hope yeah. I didn't cut you off, Chris. No, no. I, I think um, I think you're right on, and I, I think it's interesting knowing people who know fair fit a couple people who uh, have a lot of money, and they're not happy at all. And it's I think it's really easy to conflate money with happiness. I think the thing that we were fortunate to figure out is like, at least for us, that's not the driving thing. It's an enabler to a degree, but that's not what makes us happy. It's like working with the right people. It's our spending time with our families. It's like feeling proud of what we're building and who our customers are and all of those, all of those things. Um, And like, that is what, that's what happiness is. And actually more like the realization of, 
how do we keep doing this? Like, that's, that's what we want to do. We want to keep doing this. We don't want to like do this bigger and do this different and do this, but do it with the same values. And hopefully mm. we can, that's like our governor on, on what we'll take on. Mm. You know, I don't know him other than from a distance, but, um, when I first started in my career, I, I, I started to watch Bill Gates closely. Um, I think he's probably five to 10 years older than I am. And everything I'm about to say is a complete and utter fiction and projection because I don't know him. <laughs> but what occurs to me is that um, there were probably very many moments in his life, in his early years at Microsoft, where someone could have bought that company. I can imagine IBM probably offered him a lot of money to buy that company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the truth is, he chose to stay with that company until he chose to do something else with his life. Yeah. And again, it's a complete and total projection. But I look at the numbers that he has and I say, huh, not bad, huh? Not bad. <laughs> and he is curing cancer by colonizing Mars. <laughs> yeah. Right? Or the, or the equivalent thereof. The, the truth is, he is, he and Melinda, they are making a difference. They are, and again, this is all projection. They seem kind. And th this was, you know, when I was a young man and I was a young technology reporter, Bill Gates and, and the word kind were not words that we associated. <laughs> But you sort of look at that phenomena and you say, I, I imagine that there's some point in his life where running Microsoft, building Microsoft was the only thing that really he wanted to do. And somehow, somewhere in the last 20 years, we've lost sight of that as a goal. And we thought that the, that the goal was... And then we sold it and we took our pot of gold, pot of gold, and we left the business. We stopped doing the thing that created joy in our lives. Yeah. And I think it's also who are we selling our businesses to? It's like the same yeah. companies. And yeah. so there's, there, are, there are a couple, there's a small number of people still joyfully building, but they're, they're, they're buying up everyone else's yeah. companies. Yeah. 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 I think it's just, I mean, it's the quest for the growth hack. It's the, the, this like mentality that you were talking about in terms of there being the playbook and there isn't one that's just life. Like there isn't a playbook. If there was a playbook, we would all be exactly the same and we're the exact opposite. Everyone's extremely different. Um, and I think it's the idea that it, the, the idea that it can be taught in a way where down to like, this is how to price. This is mm. the process you use to get a customer, which those are all helpful tools. But for each, you know, if you're building a house, you don't just like take all the same tools as the guy next to you and assume that you can build a house. Like you got to figure it out. You got to figure out your way. You got to figure out your taste. Like it, it's, it's about like imprinting your experience and values onto those tools. And I think that people somehow miss that. It's just like, yeah, um, I, 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 I I, th I think you're absolutely right, Chris. I mean, uh, 
uh, I have a book coming out in June. It's available for pre-order now. It makes a fantastic holiday gift. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's called Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up. And a central message of the book is that leadership presents an opportunity for us to fully actualize and grow as human beings. And those folks who choose to do that process end up leading well and become the kinds of leaders we want to work for. A central premise of the book is that there is no one way to lead, right? In a sense, what I was working with was pushing back against what I often see as the, 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 the wise, old, generally white guy, straight white guy, who smiles down from the cover of the book and says, these are the five steps you need to take in order to be a successful leader. And what's missing from that whole notion is, for me, this is what I did. <laughs> And yeah. what I see in my new friends, Chris and Brendan, are two people who have asked the question, what does it mean for us to be leaders? What kind of company do we want to build? You know, another test question I often ask people is, do, are, do either of you have children? Mm -hmm. How old are your children? Three and... Um, 11 months for me. Oh, mazel tov. How about you, Brendan? <laughs> Two months. Two months. Oh, my God. <laughs> Are you getting sleep? <laughs> I was just telling Chris before this started, uh, mostly, yes, last night was was a bit challenging. but <laughs> You looked remarkably good for the challenging sleep. <laughs> so my children are 28, 26, and 21. Okay, and so here's an operative question that I want you to hold on to as you continue to hold your seat as leaders at this company. 15, 18, 20 years from now, how would you feel if your children came to work for you at Wistia? Would you be proud? Would you feel happy? Would you feel that they're working for a good company? Because if the answers to those questions are no, then what are you doing? It's, it's funny you say that because I've, I've thought about that. And uh, I've thought about it particularly with managers, mm -hmm. which is like, would I want my daughters to report to somebody here? Brilliant. And um, then it's like, what does it mean to be a great manager at Wistia and how do we train people on how to do that and how do we hold them accountable for doing that such that anyone can enter the organization and have that kind of experience. And it does change. It changes the view in terms of like um, how much you're willing to invest in people if you think you're going to have people here for that long. But also just, it, it, at least for me, it, it simplifies and reframes a lot of, a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I worry about that with tech in general. We've, we've been working really hard to make Wistia more diverse and inclusive. And, and we've got, we've definitely got longer to go on the diversity side, but we're, we're working. Um, and it's one of those things that's like, I think we will make Wistia much stronger by making our company more diverse, but it's I, not a quick solution. It's like things take a long time. Yeah. 
Um, you're hiring, it's people's lives, it's people's livelihood. Um, and so how do you change the process and the structure and um, where you source candidates from and how people are promoted and how you audit positions and all of those things because I want my kids to grow up in a world where they're, they're privileged, like they, they, they look like me mm -hmm. and like we are the leaders of this company, like they're already quite privileged. Um, how do they, how can they grow up in a diverse environment and not have that privilege, like change them in a, in a negative way um, and make sure that they're kind and make sure that they are um, inclusive. Well, you know, I, I, again, speaking like the older brother here, um, if we go back to the organizing question that we used before, which is what is the outcome in effect? What is it? What, what are we looking for in the end? And Chris, if you define that as a parent, and I started to hear that, which is, you know, 25 years from now, those who look like either of the three of us, and I'm going to make some presumptions here that we are all three are cisgendered, white, straight white men. Um, you know, the winners of the genetic lottery, to use Warren Buffett's phrase. If we recognize that 25 years from now that we will be in the minority and that the world will thankfully be radically different, assuming we haven't all burned up in climate change, um, in a changed climate, right? If we recognize that reality and we recognize that our children are moving into that world, then what are we doing? as leaders, as parents, as managers, to prepare those who come behind us for that world? I think there is a moral obligation to ask ourselves those questions. And I think that there's a parenting obligation to prep that. You know, Chris, you have, you have two girls. Um, Brendan, how old is, uh, uh, how does your, <laughs> How does he identify? Yeah, I was going to actually <laughs> say, boy, this is a little brown conversation, huh? Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, he, is, he is a male. He's a boy. He's a male. Yeah. So, um, so the question is, <laughs> what kind of world are they going to be leading? What kind of world are they going to be inheriting? And that includes what kind of work world? Yeah. We spend right. most of our lives at work. I mean, it's... Right. We're not changing that aspect of our society. Um, but there is an opportunity to build companies in a different way. Um, the guys at Basecamp have done remarkable work promulgating a notion that there's a different way to work. Um, you know, internally at Reboot, we, we, we really take joy out of the phrase that we've stolen from David White which is good work done well for the right reasons. You know, good work done well for the right reasons. So, well, I want to thank you both for this conversation. I wasn't sure where we were going to go with it. I think we've had a good time. This has been uh, great. Thank, thank you. you. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast. To listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations and leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. 
And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash signup so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human being ever reach that kind of light? I call on the resting soul of Galileo, king of night vision, king of insight. I think that from my experience and the fact that I actually found a ginormous piece of myself that had been um, neglected and, and really um, missing for such a large part of my life that I can't imagine that there's any other experience that I could have had where I would have had the opportunity to find that or have been supported in this way to allow that to, to come to the surface and have that be part of my experience. And so I'm just going to put out there that I can imagine that there are many people who feel like that they've been trying a lot of things and, and looking in a lot of places to find, if you will, the, the happiness or the wholeness that a lot of us strive to find and, and feel. Mm-hmm. And um, there is no better way to be able to find that than to give yourself the opportunity to have the space, have the guidance, have the compassion and the nurturing and all of the resources that, that you would need to, to do this. Just have the courage to just jump in and, and call this a gift to yourself, uh, mm-hmm. one that you would never regret. I wish I could tell anybody who's like in that place of they're stuck and they're tired and they're scared and they're lonely. And you could name a thousand other emotions or feelings. Like I just wish that I could tell them that there is a way to see yourself through that. And yes, Mm -hmm. you have to walk through it (laughs) and do the work. (laughs) And there is something there for you that will bring you the most amazing life that you've ever had. Are you in the midst of a major life change and feeling alone in the quagmire of feelings? Are you longing for more meaning in your personal or professional life? Or are you already in the midst of the turmoil and excitement of a business or role transition? The Reboot Quest is a truly one-of-a-kind experience to support startup CEOs, founders, and leaders who are confronted with personal and professional questions that simply won't go away. You'll return with the more authentic self emerging, seeing more clearly your work to be done in the world. To learn more and apply for the Reboot Quest, go to reboot.io slash quest.